This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the second episode. Second episode, Brent. I uh, This is by far my favorite episode of the entire series. Season. Season one. Best, best episode. Well, you are in company with... Uh two of the three writers of the show then well speaking of writing and i i've been thinking about this all day because i didn't want to get overly dramatic or overstate something and this is just a statement of personal opinion this is not an objective argument i'm not prepared to back this up with any external evidence this may be like i've been trying to think of something that i'm gonna say one of but i have not been able to think of something else up to this point this is one of if not I think one of the the best episode of a series that I have ever seen. It is so well written. Like I'm not so wound up about the details of like what's going on in the entire episode, but like the whole plot of this episode, the design of it, um the oh it's just so good. It is so good. Like I keep like, I weep every time I, I watch the end of this episode. I'm now like, it's getting worse. And I've seen it. And I was, I'm like, I was like you last week or the last episode. Like, you were just trying to take notes. I was just trying to take no, notes, Brent. I needed some things to talk about today. And I'm like, full on convulsing at the end of this episode. It's just so good. It is so good. All right, enough. I, I fully understand your experience. Somehow I'm like, I'm just taking notes. How how much could this, like the end of the first episode, I you know, the second time around with taking notes, it hit me harder. And then I watched it again, uh, you know, last night in preparation for this episode, even though it's, you know, not strictly necessary. I just, you know, watched the first episode again just for kicks. And uh, man, yeah. From front to end, from, from the opening scene, it... It is so good. It's so well designed, uh, well written. I don't know if I'm just a total sucker, but just a fine piece of cinematic production here. <laughs> no, I think that's why this this uh, series is um, is getting our attention and our our uh, our review, our overview, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, it's it's really well done. So I say we commence with. Uh, commence with our review and spoilers for the entire episode right now absolutely commencing away so uh the episode starts off um back in 948 bc in kinneret uh which is apparently a forerunner to gennesaret from what i understand yep should be if my understanding is correct as well yep and uh also, as I was looking into this a little bit, trying to figure out um, what the city was that they were talking about, the um, the Sea of Galilee was apparently named after whatever the most prominent city around it was uh-huh. at various times. Uh-huh. So uh, apparently it's been called the Sea of Tiberias at times, and at one point it was called the Sea of Kinneret. Yep. So yep, that is correct. To illustrate how, how important it is as a city. And uh, and it comes up in the text a few times as well. Apparently, it's mentioned in Numbers thirty four, Deuteronomy three, and Joshua eleven and twelve. You see that. So, uh, but they're preparing for Shabbat, and uh, you know the the little boy is asking questions, and the the mom is explaining how Shabbat works, and and then uh, you know eventually we see the you know the the boy catches the first star, and and they start uh, blessing each other and sharing a meal and whatever, but. Uh, the thing that that kicks it off is the 
do this uh, Eshet Hayil. Uh, apparently, it's a song, although they weren't singing it in the in the show. But maybe you can kind of explain what the Eshet Hayil is all about. Yeah, the Eshet Hayil that is uh, Proverbs thirty one um, comes out of that. A portion of that last chapter of Proverbs, a lot of people know like the Proverbs 31 woman, that whole thing, which has so often been like just so badly used and abused in biblical interpretation, particularly with Western and Christians and anyway. But it, this is a great way to actually encounter the Eshachiel and actually learn what's going on with the Eshachiel. They, and there's a whole bunch of stuff about the scene that I'm not sure you could make the case was historically accurate. We're, we're a thousand years BC to have them wearing prayer shawls, to have candles on the table, to have them reciting some of these things may not have a ton of historical accuracy. That, but as, again, for the design of the episode, just absolutely phenomenal. But the Eshet Heil at some point in Jewish tradition becomes a very regular Sabbath recitation. And so it is, Eshet Hayal means woman of valor, woman of valor. So uh, 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 a woman of great character, a woman of valor, who can find Eshet Hayal. Um and, and there's this list of things that, that Proverbs 31 talks about. Now in our culture, we have often talked about like, this is a checklist for a beautiful God-fearing wife. Like she has to do all these things to be a good wife of noble character. And yet that song that portion of Proverbs is not a checklist, but uh, it is a it's a proclamation. It is it is ex, it, it's extolling. Um, Eshet is what you what you pronounce, what you proclaim, what what almost erupts out of you when you see a woman, but especially uh, uh, your wife, just do something that is just like extraordinary and and you proclaim you extol her as a woman of valor and so it's not a checklist of here's all the things like here's the bar like here's the list of bare minimum it is look at how you you just show up and you do these incredible things in this world you do these incredible things in this life we extol you for the type of person uh the type of woman that you are and so Sabbath is this point where you really, especially the patriarch, and I was trying to think of if there's any blessings that get um, like repeated to the patriarch, because I, I feel like Sabbath is a time for the patriarch to like exude blessing, appreciation, encouragement, exhortation, because the you heard in the video, the children get blessed. May you be like Manasseh and Ephraim. The, the to the daughters may you be like Sarah and Rivka, uh, to, and to the wife. It, it all starts with the wife and then the childrens. The childrens listen to me talk. I know my English. This it it all begins with with the wife, uh, the Eshachiel being proclaimed, and then the children being blessed, boys and girls, and there's this Sabbath blessing this sabbath pronounce like this pronouncing of goodness that goes down through the family ranks and so that's the eshachiel and it's a great place to encounter it because it's really the spirit of what the eshachiel is not not this is the kind of person you're supposed to be but but i i rejoice on this friday evening 
that you are my wife, that you are in this family, that you are amazing. I, I speak well of you. I thank God for you. I proclaim your valor to everyone listening. You are fantastic. So there you go. The Eshet Heil. So I, I found a, a link from uh, Alf Beta that kind of goes through this a little bit. And are you familiar with what Foreman does with this? No, I don't have time to study new things, Brent. I'm so busy. <laughs> he goes through the Eshet Heil as a commentary on the book of Ruth oh. and breaks down how it all lines up with her story. And uh, I put it on our topic list. So we're probably going to cover this in a future episode because it's pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, oh. so there's, I'm going to include the link in the show notes. Uh, if you have an alpha beta premium subscription, you can, um, well, it's an audio course, but you can listen to two hours of, foreman going over all of these details and uh, i think he doesn't even get through all of them it's pretty wild so the eshet heil check it out i was not familiar with it at all before seeing this episode so it's been a fun little little journey of discovery for me Ray, i'll have to check that out did you, did you say you have to have a premium membership uh to to do the audio course he's got a two-hour audio course on it but the there's an article that kind of goes through some of the high level overview of the eshet heil that you can see on the link interesting i may have to look at that if i'm doing true confessions right now marty doesn't even have a premium membership to lf beta i have the cool. i have the middle membership so <laughs> still locked out of some great content <laughs> well we can we can fix that <laughs> all right so back to our episode So then it cuts to Capernaum in AD 26 or almost a thousand years later. And I think the idea of that first scene was just to say like, hey, this this tradition of Sabbath, even if, you know, the portrayal is a little bit different, like they're portraying it more or less the same way because they want to be able to call back to it in the episode, whether that was actually the case, whether, you know, I'm sure it evolved over a thousand years over their Babylonian captivity, over so many different things that happened over those thousand years. Uh, but we cut to Capernaum and uh, we're in a hair salon and Mary enters and uh, they have her braid the hair. She's looking really good. Uh, everything, you know, like she just seems like a completely different person from, you know, how we were first introduced her in the last episode. Uh, one of the things they point out in the commentary track, you'll see right as right as they uh, start the scene, they kind of pan across some paintings of people in the hair salon and they were saying like we don't have a lot of information about what hair salons would have been like in that time they probably wouldn't have had paintings because of the aversion to iconography like that mm -hmm. uh, yep. but we don't really know so um you know they i guess they had a little bit of fun with the production design on it but so then uh then mary goes out to the market because she needs to get a, a flower and uh, Shmuel is walking through the market. And so, and I didn't realize this, um, but I guess, you know, as Pharisees would walk through a place, they would often be praying or whatever. And so everyone would stop and kind of watch and listen and see what was happening. And so everyone has stopped and Mary is oblivious to this apparently, uh, which seems a little unlikely to me. I don't know, but, um, she's oblivious. She just goes and finds her flower. Shmuel sees her and is like, whoa, wait a second. And he kind of follows her or whatever. 
and uh, realizes that it's her, and then he he runs away. So now I I think I have to interrupt you here because I don't think it's Shmuel that is out and about, but I think it's the uh, the third student. I think Shmuel is not the one that's in there in that scene. I don't believe. Oh. You're right. Yep. I wrote down the wrong name. I don't often get to correct Brett Billings people, but when I do. Uh, what is what is his name then? Uh, I don't. Okay. Well, now I don't know. I went from feeling great. I had my Peter moment right there. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> oh, it's Yusuf. Okay. And Y-U-S-E-F or Y-O? Is it Yosef or? Uh, on IMDb, they spell it Y-U-S-S-I-F. Y-U-S-F. S-S-I-F? Yeah. Okay. But I'm looking at the picture, and it's definitely that guy. All right. Well, there you go. So, Yusuf. Okay. So, forget what I said about uh, Shmuel. Uh, Anyway, my my notes are all backwards now. Hopefully, I don't have any more of those instances later. We'll find out, I guess. Um, Yeah, I do. Okay. We'll correct that as we go. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts about the the hairdressing situation and kind of what's going on there or whatever, but... Or the Pharisees' interaction with people, whatever. Any thoughts on that? Not necessarily. Um, I, I don't know how much. Uh, I don't know if you listen to the scholarly discussion about Pharisees, and I, I've never necessarily encountered that or heard that, or um, like the idea isn't necessarily doesn't seem crazy to me. But that everybody'd be stopping as they walk through. But sure, yeah. Yeah, that's something they mentioned on the commentary track that they found in their research, but I don't have like a specific um, reference that I can point to for it. Okay, well, there you go. Learn something new. Uh, So then we have Matthew and Gaius uh, entering a building to talk to Quintus uh, to to rat out on Simon and Andrew and their scheme or whatever. And uh, you can't really see it in the shot um, for very long, but there's some writing on the floor and I was wondering, like, is that Latin? Is that like what did did you happen to notice that that scene where where the writing was on the floor when they first walked into that building? I absolutely noticed it. I did not notice if it were Greek or Latin. I would, man, I don't know. I would expect Greek. I think it was, it was a mosaic on the floor. I believe. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like it was a mosaic, maybe a rug, but either way. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what it was, but I was just wondering if, if you happen to know, but uh, I didn't, I didn't, I do, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I didn't stop long enough to actually examine it. Yeah. They didn't mention in the commentary either. So, uh, it might not be anything in particular. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so Quintus enters, uh, Matthew lays out the whole thing. I don't find Simon reliable, you know, Gaius, <laughs> uh, Gaius, you know, as, as things progress, Gaius is always trying to leave. And, uh, eventually Matthew says something and, uh, Gaius just kneels down and then the other soldier there draws his sword and I'm like, oh man, he's like ready for a beheading. Yeah. The, he, the, um, uh, Quintus is, is saying, so you think I, I was wrong in my judgment? And Matthew just like, yes, I do. <laughs> and that's when everybody freaks out. Like, oh my gosh, you're going to die. So <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, yeah, pretty great. But uh, Quintus, you know, eventually is like, yeah, you're you're cute, Matthew, but I like it, and uh, I think we can we can have a special assignment for you. So, so we'll be in touch. And then Gaius is like, okay, we got to get out of here before <laughs> before he says something dumb again. Uh, so then we're back in uh, the which, bar. Which, by the way, before we move oh. on to the next scene, the I just loved the 
Matthew as a tax collector, like personality aside, because they, they keep working in this like highly anxious, kind of obsessive, compulsive commitment to details and analytical and all that kind of stuff. But I, I love just his awareness of working the politics as a tax collector. He knows how Rome works. Like maybe the maybe the show makes him seem a little ignorant, but like he is very I, – I don't think the show makes him completely ignorant. He knows what he's doing. He's working the political dynamics here. And I just I love that, and it's also a picture that I don't I don't think they're doing this in the episode, but one of the things that I think we miss so often about what the scriptures are trying to teach us is about how to be shrewd. Like we don't incentivize, or like we don't look at shrewdness as um what am I what am I trying to as a as a noble attribute. As you know, some you know, we don't see it as valor. We we see it, even though that Jesus tells us to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Like, well, I don't really know what that means. I don't really like shrewd. We don't like the the idea of being shrewd. We are so wound up. We're much more like Pharisees. We're we're way more wound up about morality than we are about engagement. And yet, one of the things that the Bible keeps talking to us about is like being shrewd, like knowing how, especially in the presence of empire. Like, I just keep thinking about the Book of Esther. I mean, this spring we celebrate. We, we celebrated Purim. You do every spring, and and there's this just remembering the Book of Esther and how she knew how to engage the imperial dynamics, the political power, uh, in a way that was shrewd, in a way that kind of forced its hand. And I, I love that. I just saw that in Matthew, and I thought this is a quality that we don't typically gravitate towards, or celebrate and something that Jesus at least in part calls us to. And um, so, yeah, I, I know that's tricky, but it's, it's also in there. And I thought, I thought I liked that scene for that, uh, that reminder. And I'm not sure if the actor uh, Paris Patel um, has any direct experience in this. I, I guess the director's daughter is autistic. And so, you know, he's familiar with that you know, with, what their personality would be like and recognize some of those traits in what we see in Matthew in the scriptures. So, wow. Wow. Okay. Matthew is supposed to be on the autism spectrum within the context of the show, whether he actually was or not, it'd be very difficult to know, but you know, the director and, and he's one of the writers too, like recognize some of those traits from his daughter and from what he read about Matthew and scriptures. So that's wow. uh, kind of the angle they're taking on that. That's interesting. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. So then we're back at the bar and uh, Simon is kind of working the table of the merchants. And uh, there's there's a, a few like um, references to Absalom and, uh, you know, he's just buying drinks for everybody. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of those little references. I feel like... I probably don't understand half of what they were making reference to, but oh, they were yeah. It was it was like a perfect you know Bible jukes, like it it was it was awesome. It was well done. It was the kind of stuff that like us idiotic Bible college students would have done when we were you know in the middle of school as you know juniors, and you got the you got the Jesus jukes, you got the the Bible jokes, and. So, yeah, they definitely had this, like, oh, look at this guy. He's got a mane like Absalom. Well, Absalom's the guy in the scripture that gets caught in the hair, got gets caught in the tree by his hair. So, you know, don't go around any, 
you know, low branches, and they tell Peter not to go walking around any. And I'm still, still trying to figure out like what the staircase reference was, but anyway, just some great uh, biblically based Jewish history based uh, trash talking there. I like that; it was fun. We're not afraid you steal our fish. We're afraid you steal our women. Look at this man, like Absalom, no? Only <laughs> better, better than Absalom. Stay away from low hanging branches, my boy. <laughs> Stay away from steep staircases, old man. That's it, sir. None for Jason. Oh, what did he do this time? Ask her wife. <laughs> yeah, everyone seemed to be having a good time. And then we had the uh, the entry of James and John for a very brief moment, our introduction to them. And then, uh, so then Simon goes over and sits down with Andrew, who's just been over off to the side, you know, sitting at their little table. And uh, he's like, hey, wh- wh- what are you doing? Why are you, why are you buying all these guys drinks? He's like, are you fattening your lambs before the slaughter? And, uh, it's, it's pretty great, pretty great line. And Simon's like, look, Eden and you are my responsibility. These men are not family. And, uh, you know, I know this, this is, uh, definitely the problem that we have with the Simon character is like, there's no way that he would actually look at his fellow Jews in that separated sort of way where like his immediate family is his family and the other guys are not his family like obviously that is pretty pretty unlikely historically speaking but uh i think maybe from andrew's response a little bit we kind of get the idea like oh this is a serious thing like simon is you know if simon was to do something like this andrew's response would be like Dude, what are you doing? This is completely wrong in every way. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, so then we cut to uh, Nicodemus, and he's reading uh, about demons and exorcism, uh, which is pretty fun. Like, he's he can't get this out of his mind. And uh, I have in my notes that it's Shmuel, but I guess it was uh, Yusuf charges in, and... Uh, the of he says the of bait dean himself requests your presence and i i have no idea what that means so maybe you can explain that one marty yeah so the of bait dean i i've run into that uh term before um you picked it up and i i didn't necessarily pick it up when i um but that was the figure i was thinking of when they went to go there um father or master of the house of judgment uh or let's see here if you look on uh, the wikipedia page uh, it will translate at house, uh, master of the court, the Avbeit Dean, master of the court, literally father or master of the house of judgment. Now, according to what I'm reading, I'm not an expert in this. I have heard the term before and read about it. Uh, the second ranking member of the Sanhedrin. Um, so w- where... Where Nicodemus is called to isn't in front of the Sanhedrin, but they want to send word to Jerusalem. So apparently the Av Beit Din uh, is is in Capernaum, apparently, and uh, wants to send a representative to Jerusalem to kind of alert the larger authorities. So that's this this chief elder, this chief ruler, um, and uh, yeah, and, and I'm wondering now, you know, knowing how the Sanhedrin works. Is that from the the second highest ranking official? Is that from the Pharisaic school? Because the you know, Nicodemus is uh, you know member of the Sanhedrin. We're told uh, is this member on the Pharisaic side, the Pharisaical party? 
because the Sanhedrin is made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. So which side is it? So anyway, interesting. A whole bunch of things I don't know, but there you go. Good question. Yeah. So it, it says the, you know, the Sanhedrin are gathering to consider whether the the woman from the red quarter being redeemed is a miracle or not. Uh, Nicodemus doesn't know about this yet. And, uh, you know, they all get in there and uh, Yusuf is like, look, I followed until I was absolutely certain. There's no doubt it was her. And Nicodemus is like, whoa, okay, hold on a second. Uh, I want to do a little bit of my own investigation first. And so, you know, they agreed to do that. And in the commentary track, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, they were saying like, look, we, we don't have a lot of, like, there's all these lines like, oh, the Pharisees conspired against him. But they're saying, look, the Pharisees are not th this evil group of people. They're struggling to do the right thing. And even though we don't see these types of backroom conversations in scripture, that's what they're trying to portray. Like they're trying to puzzle this out. They're trying to wrestle with this and figure out what the right thing to do is. And uh, I, I thought that was just really, really encouraging that we're going to like see a, you know, uh, a human perspective of the Pharisees. Um, throughout the rest of the show. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite parts about this is the seriousness of the issue. These aren't people just going through the motions. These aren't people like, it, this isn't just, a, you know, a bunch of hypocrites that don't care about, this is people that take their devotion and their religion very, very seriously. And, and you're right. I, and I think that's going to be important, Brent, to, uh, if we want to be if we want to allow this story, these episodes, this consideration to lead us into reflection, they're trapped by their own devotion and commitment to a system that is actually going to be getting in the way. It's not just their corrupt hearts. It's that they're bought into a religious system, a theology, a dogma that blinds their eyes, that blocks them from being able to enter the kingdom. Like, they're very much committed. They're very serious. They're very devout, um, but they they've got some some things that are in the way, and it's their own traditions. It's their own, and I think Brent, that's going to be instructive to us. Like I think, I think those of us that call ourselves Jesus followers today need to consider how true that is of so much of our own experience. But I digress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so then we have Simon and Andrew. They're out at night watching for boats. Uh, Andrew's kind of just falling asleep. Uh, Simon's like, you know, could be this person, could be this person. Andrew's concerned. He, like, what if, what if it's this person? You know, they look up to you, Simon, or whatever. And and then Simon, you know, he's just completely blocked off. He's like, the crew is out there stealing food from Eden. They're stealing our boat. You know. And uh, I don't, I don't know that we have necessarily any more to say about uh, the character of Simon. So we'll just move on real quick. Uh, we have Zahara and Nicodemus discussing their Shabbat dinner plans, and uh, Nicodemus is, you know, still troubled about uh, the situation with Mary, trying to figure out what he's going to do there. And Zahara is encouraging him, like, "Hey, these people are waiting for you. Um, you can just you can just go through the Shabbat dinner quickly." And I lo I loved this line from Nicodemus. It's a small gathering. They just go through it quickly. Try to avoid spending too much time honoring God and our heritage. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
and i just yeah those those two characters uh, have such like a perfect dynamic i love i love watching them yep absolutely yep so then we're we're back in the uh the market and uh gaius is walking through and he takes he just like you know casually walks up to um some shop and just just grabs a handful of food and then keeps walking and i'm like ah, yeah like that seems like the kind of thing that you would just have to deal with in their day like oh yep any roman soldier walking by can just take whatever they want from me and and there's nothing i can do about it and it's just like nobody confronts him he doesn't say anything or look at anyone uh, it's just yeah I, I thought it was a, a perfect little moment and uh and then the the beggar from the first episode grabs Gaius's leg and asks him if he's the Messiah. <laughs> uh, but then there's some kind of fight going on. And so Gaius, you know, runs away from that guy and then hits the other guy in, in the back of the head. And, uh, and the other soldier who was struggling to break up the fight initially, Gaius is like, there's only one language that keeps the peace. Marcus learned to speak it. Uh, and seeming like, Hey, we got to be violent if we're going to keep these people under control. You know, if, if anyone, lashes out we gotta strike him down quickly and that kind of calls back to that that roman uh uh that roman tagline like piety war victory peace sure right yeah absolutely yep and just you know a casual uh, subtle mention of or not really mentioned but just a you know an implication of that lifestyle that way of doing things yeah absolutely so then Gaius goes over and sees that matthew had been in some kind of scuffle he's got a you know he's bleeding his cheek is bleeding he's got a bunch of dirt all over him and and Gaius is like you got to go home you look ridiculous and uh and matthew's like no i got a job to do and uh we learned that matthew had been disowned by his father uh, which I think kind of makes sense uh, as far as no doubt, you know, absolutely. Matthew being a tax collector, like that's not really going to win you any points in your family. Nope. Yeah, absolutely. Complete disowning it. Like oftentimes they would even become tax collectors if they lost their father, but your father is still alive and is at all uh, observant. Yeah. You're, you're, you're toast in that family. Forget that. So that, that made all kinds of sense. Um, the fact it got beat up and, mistreated yeah it's all just very historically fitting and then uh you know right at the end of that scene you know you see this shot of gaius kind of pausing for a moment like recognizing matthew's humanity a little bit like oh you've been disowned by your father like that's gotta suck yeah and that's gonna play into this character development for gaius absolutely yep so then we have uh mary out shopping for shabbat candles and she's like i barely remember how to do shabbat and, you know, all of her friends are giving her these, this advice and stuff. And I, I wonder like, how could she, if, if they're actually doing Shabbat all the time, like how long has she been out of this that she could forget? I, I don't know about that. It seems a little bit, um, convenient for her to be naive about Shabbat, but I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Oh man. If she's, if she lost her dad and she only remembers it from her childhood and she's been an outcast ever since. And she's been, you know, mentally ill with PTSD and absolutely I can I can totally imagine a world where she she can only remember Shabbat from those days when her dad was alive when she was a little girl. Um, OK. Yeah, absolutely. OK. Because she's well, not. And, and again, like and, and see, don't get me wound up about this episode until we're in, in the closing scene. Like you don't get invited to Shabbat like she would have never been included. She. 
Uh, it's just the most moving thing about this entire freaking episode. So I'm going to stop talking for now until the end because, yes, she has not been in Shabbat circles. It's what's so moving about. Anyway, all right, next. <laughs> All right, so then we have this uh, wonderful encounter between Nicodemus and Mary. He finds her uh, walking through the market. Uh, you know, he calls out by her name Lilith, and and so they're talking about that name change, and she realizes that he's, you know, uh, of some standing, and so she, she puts her scarf over her head, and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not here to enforce Jewish law, uh, but you're healed. That much is clear, so I want to know, like, what is going on here? And she's like, I don't, I don't really know. Like this guy, he, I don't even know his name, but he, he called me Mary and he quoted this, uh, passage from Isaiah 43 that my dad used to say all the time. And, and, uh, he's like, and it was just so like, you just, it just changed like that. And she, she nods and, um, tries to get some more details about that and finds out, uh, you know, he performs miracles and seeks no credit. Like, is he Sanhedrin? Who is this guy? Like, Nicodemus is just like completely puzzled and and I love his posture. Like he's, I don't know that Mary necessarily believes it, but what I see is like, he's genuinely curious, really wants to know what's going on with her is not like coming from a place of like, I have all the answers. I just really love how he portrays the character in this scene. Yeah. 100%. He's got this like humility. He's the teacher of teachers and he doesn't necessarily resist that or fight that. But he he also has this – he honors, he loves, he respects his tradition, the things he's a part of, the system that – he's not fighting it. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. Um, but yet he has, he does – he's very open – like he's curious. He, as a teacher of teachers, he's curious. He's not arrogant. And that kind of humility is such a great – I think true to the biblical text. I think just so great as far as character development. So, so much fun to watch him. Maybe not fun because he's super convicting. Um, <laughs> that's the character I relate to the most. But yeah, absolutely. So then then we have, uh, you know, Elizabeth Tabish is the actress who's playing Mary. And she just has this incredible line, uh, which they, they pegged as in the commentary. They pegged it as the most popular favorite line of the entire season that they get more comments about than anything else. She says, I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. It's like, oh man, such a good line. And Nicodemus is like, okay. And then she leaves to continue preparing for Shabbat. So beautiful, beautiful exchange. I loved it. Then we have, um, Eden preparing some food in her house and, uh, Simon apparently has just woken up. It's afternoon and Eden is upset at this point. She's like, look, I don't know how we have all this money. I know something's going on. Simon's like, well, I got to work on Shabbat and, you know, just, just trust me on this. And she, she hesitates a little bit and she's like, look, you answer to God, not me. But next time you answer to the both of us, because whatever this is, I don't have the strength for it twice. So good. Lara Silver is the actress who plays uh, plays Eden, and I I just love like like in the first episode, like you just see this like genuine love for Simon. Like I love their how they build their relationship, but now she's like 
you know, she's got this passionate zeal for like what's right. And she knows that, that Simon is making bad choices. She doesn't know what to do about it. Yeah. I, I love that exchange. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, uh, the, um, I, I was glad that they do it. They do like she does. She calls Peter out. I love the strength of her character because like up to this point, like the, the wives that you're seeing up close, um, like, uh, Nicodemus's wife, Sahara, like they really kind of painting her as more of like this villain, like ignorant, like, uh, she's just well wound up in her own like luxury and comfort. And I was like, oh, this feels kind of patriarchal. Like I wish. And yet Eden comes in and plays this like very aware, um, engaged, like the hero of, in so many ways, the hero of Peter's storyline uh, throughout this first season. And I I love that. So I love that part of her. And I don't know if it's all the actress um, doing it or if there's some additional like Foley work or whatever, but like the emotion that you feel as she's chopping up that cucumber. Right. It's just like, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. Because I've had moments like that with my wife and that felt really authentic to me. So... <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask Maggie to come in and do some sound effects and yeah, <laughs> talk to us about the ability to just chop a cucumber with some vigor. So then we're starting to get to the the point where everyone is celebrating and, and we first have uh, Matthew. He seems to be heading to a Shabbat dinner. He's got a, a little dish of food and uh, he runs into a stray dog and he's like, Okay, hold on. Just just stay here. I'll come back. I'll share with you if I have anything afterward. Okay. So then he he moves on and he stops and looks in a window and sees a couple of people sitting down at a table and then he leaves. Which to me was like, ooh, like he doesn't like I don't know if that was his family or if it was supposed to be some people who were friends, but then he ended up like having to tax them and, and broke that relationship. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but he doesn't feel welcome. And that was just a really powerful, just a quick scene, but just so much, so much portrayed in that short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Great scene. So then we are back, uh, with Zohara and Nicodemus and they've got quite a few people at the table already. Uh, Zohara is like explaining like, Oh, we got this dish from here and it's made of this. And like, you know, showing off all of their stuff to their guests and Nicodemus is off to the side, um, quiet, probably still thinking about the situation with Mary and, uh, Zohara comes in to check on him. And I, I think this is like kind of a, you see the other side of the Zohara coin, uh, as far as like her relationship and, and what she cares about or whatever. And, her perspective. And so Nicodemus is admiring this Hasmonean tapestry and she kind of has this like flirtatious sort of feel. Uh, she's like humoring him or whatever. Like, I, I feel like there's no way she doesn't know the history of, of this tapestry and like the Hasmoneans. Um, but she's like, Hey, explain it to me, you know, whatever. Very typical of their day, by the way, to, to call out the instruction from their husband, especially in that pharisaical patriarchal world. She definitely doesn't assume and she doesn't instruct. She wants her husband to instruct her. Like that's very uh, historically fitting. And I love about this whole thing before we close out the scene. Like we opened with that opening scene from a thousand BC Shabbat dinner. And it was just so primal, but it was so real. Like it was real. It was authentic. 
And now, a thousand years later, I, the the design of this episode was so good. Like you just keep bouncing between Shabbats. You saw the real thing a thousand years ago, and now you're bouncing between all these Shabbat experiences, uh, between Matthew who doesn't have one, um, between Peter who's not going to be there, and now Nicodemus who's surrounded by opulence, and you're just getting all of these juxtapositions. Like what has happened over the thousand years to bring all of these different Sabbath experiences uh to where it's at today versus where is what was the heart of Shabbat a thousand years? What was the true heart that has been lost? So love that. Yeah. And you know, they, they have their little conversation and, and then someone knocks on the door. So they go answer it. And it's this other rabbi apparently who's arriving and, you know, says, addresses Nicodemus like, Hey, we're honored to be here. You make us whole. And then Nicodemus just like curtly. (laughs) Oh man. He's like, no, only God can do that. <laughs> like the look on Zohara's face is like, okay, hey, why don't you guys go find a seat? And then the and line, then, did you catch the line? Yeah, the rabbi's <laughs> like, try to get the seat near the head of the table. It's like, oh my gosh, you're going to say that out loud? Like, whoa. Sure, but such a beautiful little setup for, oh, it's just another one of those things. It absolutely feels real. Like, absolutely. There are people who, you know, very explicitly are like, I want the place of highest honor. Just let's make it happen, you know, and don't care who they step on to get there or whatever. So, Hey, listen, I, and I don't want to get stupider. I've been at events before where people, you know, I've been, you know, I might be doing a Passover Seder meal or, and people will very deliberately show up early and vocalize. I want the seat closest to where you're at. Which uh, we all understand that. We all get that. I'm not saying that's a bad urge. But that that's not far from like, yes, yes, that's very, especially in their world, but even in ours, that uh, I just think it's a great point to pull out, Brent. Yeah, and like I, I don't necessarily want to judge the motivations of that. And I certainly don't want to say that every rabbi or Pharisee or whatever is like that. But just to like to recognize like, oh, there, there are people who do that and – Maybe their intentions are good. Maybe they're not. Um, but yeah, I just love how they portrayed it. And, you know, the the actors, uh, Nicodemus, Eric Avari and, and Janice Dardaris uh, playing Zahara. Like I love their, I love their personal interactions in that scene. And then I love both of their reactions to the guests coming in. You know, Zahara's trying to be like, you know, very hospitable, very welcoming. Nicodemus is, he's been pondering this whole thing. Like, you know, Mary had this demon or the, all of these demons. And like, it was too far. Only God could save her. So he's, he's already running through this idea of like what, what humans are capable of and then what God can do. And so then to have this other rabbi come in and try to tell Nicodemus that he makes them whole, he's like, no, no, like we have completely lost it. If, if we're like taking on all of the parts that God is supposed to do in our, in our lives. So, and there's all the background murmur, the conversation you can hear, like as that all is happening, you can hear like Zahara going around, like going, "I hope you enjoy these figs. They're from the they're the finest figs from the finest place. We're serving him on these beautiful." And you know, the heart is not like, "Look at me and my beautiful wealth." The heart is, "Isn't Sabbath wonderful? We want to celebrate Sabbath with the very best. We want to give God." That's the heart. And yet, when you like hear it in the background with all this other stuff, like you're going, "Oh man, is this so so missing?" 
the point. And then as the scene comes to a close, I'm totally taking over your job. Um, as the scene comes to a close, like Nicodemus starts his Eshet Heil, and yet the tone, the posture, so blatantly different. Like he's like, a woman of valor, who can find? Like, and he did, like, this is what I say now. Time to start Sabbath dinner. I'm kind of like flustered and frustrated and uninspired and a woman of valor who can find you just kind of and then the scene kind of draws to a close but again you're comparing that to that opening shabbat scene where the the the, the patriarch is extolling like it's erupting out of him and now with all this opulence with all of this grandeur with all of this devotion uh, a woman of valor who can find let's get this over with let's go yeah in that in the opening scene of the episode uh, you know, a thousand years earlier, you definitely feel like, oh, this is a proclamation. Like this guy is really like, like he's been, he's been watching his wife walk their son through what Shabbat means. And he's like, oh yes, that is what it means. Like this is, yes, this is a woman. Like he's actually proclaiming it on her. Whereas Nicodemus is just like, you know, this is what they expect of me. So this is just I'm just checking a box at this point. Proclamation versus recitation. And it's such a great point. Yeah, perfect. So then then we get to your your magical moment, the thing that we've all been waiting for. Mary is preparing Shabbat in her home. Uh, people start to arrive. Barnaby shows up, which I, I love this guy. He's like, oh, this is a fine place. It seems like, you know, he's really familiar with Mary, but hasn't hasn't been to this place before. So... Uh, you know, he's just kind of taking it in. He's just like this jolly character. Uh, and then Shula arrives right, uh, shortly after him and like, Oh, you know, I couldn't keep up with Barnaby and then James and Thaddeus arrive and Mary doesn't know them, but welcomes them in. Like she's just rolling with it. Uh, she's being a good host. And then, you know, they, they're kind of starting to get, get going. She's like, I don't know what if I'm doing, tell me if I'm doing anything wrong. And as we talked about earlier, I guess maybe it would be realistic that she hasn't really participated in Shabbat for quite some time. So kind of makes sense. I don't know the, uh, you know, the commentary round table with the, with the scholars, like the, the rabbi who was a part of that was like, ah, there's no way that she would have said anything about Elijah's seat. Like there's no way she would have messed that up, but I don't know. Maybe I, I feel like there's there's a possible path for that. Maybe. Oh gosh, yeah. I just think that's rubbish. And I'm so in love with this scene that I'm angry that the rabbi would even say that. Um <laughs> like I, I can't even I, I I can't even I probably wouldn't even be able to talk about this scene. Like the Elijah seat was such a freaking stroke of absolute cinematic genius. Oh yeah. It was so amazing. With the moment they did that, like, oh gosh. And I didn't catch it the first time. And then Jesus shows up, and I immediately lost it. I was like, oh, and he my takes gosh. the Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it really is perfect. Dear goodness. Oh. So if you can make the leap to believe that Mary would have mixed that up and would, you know, remember enough to know that Elijah's seed is a thing, but not remember that it's just for Passover, thinking it's, it's just a general Shabbat thing. If you can make that leap, then for Jesus to come in and take that seat is incredible. <laughs> so well done. I have no problem making that leap. I'm so in love with that. It is so great. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so then, you know, there's a knock and Mary opens the door and she sees Jesus and she's just completely speechless. And he stands there patiently and, uh, you know, eventually he's like, hey, uh, so do you think I could come in? <laughs> and and she's like, oh, of course, of course, of course. And uh, 
So then, then he takes a seat. Uh, James and Thaddeus address him as rabbi. And, and she's like, oh, you, you know these guys. And he's like, oh, yeah, they're students. And then uh, I think it's Barnaby says, Mary told us so much about you. And he's like, oh, I hope not too much, you know. Uh, and I think he's just insinuating the idea like, you know, he's always telling people like, hey, uh, you know, go present yourself to whoever, uh, but don't tell them that I did this or or whatever, you know. Yeah, she mentioned earlier to Nicodemus, like, I couldn't tell you even if I knew who it was because this time hasn't come. So she knows better. So there's this like little winking callback to like, oh, I hope you didn't tell him too much. Yeah. And then Mary's like, uh, you know, he's she's trying to like introduce everyone essentially and she's like i don't I don't actually know your name so he he shares his name and then barnaby's got the line well apparently something good can come from nazareth <laughs> and everyone's like oh but then jesus turns at him and gives him a wink which i absolutely love i yeah absolutely like juxtapose that with the whole pharisaical honor system of like here's the teacher of teachers and here's all this versus like the creator of the universe and the posture is like it doesn't diminish anything from who he is and his authority, but just a beautiful, loving posture of like a, no offense, just a wink and uh, an affirmation of this mumser. Because these, these, just like Mary, these people have never been to like, and they even make comments of that while they're sitting here, like they haven't been to a Sabbath dinner. Like the, nobody's inviting the blind woman. There's all kinds of. There's all kinds of like stigmas about why she's even blind, and she's obviously an outsider and obviously going to be poor. And Barnaby, like, who knows what his story is, but he's a lousy, good for nothing nobody. And 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 just this beautiful moment where there's just this wink of I, and you just sense this joy, like Jesus loves being here in this moment. So then, uh, you know, Mary wants to actually have Jesus lead the Shabbat dinner now that he's here, and. And he defers to her as it being in her home. And uh, I, I think the rabbi in the round table uh, was like, ah, there's no way he would he would absolutely be the one leading it if he was there. I think they need to have this rabbi leave. They need to have him leave the round table. <laughs> this rabbi is very frustrating. I'm not even, I haven't watched these things, but oi, oi, Gaval. Uh, well, uh, there you go. <laughs> Don't bother what the round tables, I guess. <laughs> uh but, you know, I, I don't know. He, he also, he acknowledged like, you know, knowing the character of Jesus, it's you know, very, very plausible that he would, you know, have a sense of modesty and, and, and would just say, no, 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 go ahead and you do your thing. This is your home. So, you know, he does, he does give some, I don't think we necessarily have to throw him completely out the door. <laughs> I'll throw him out and lock it at this point. I'm so frustrated with his commentary. <laughs> So anyway, then then Mary uh, begins reading the end of Genesis 1, a.k.a. Genesis 2. Don't even get me started about how they break up chapters in the Bible. Uh, and then we start to, to have the cross-cutting between Mary's home, and then we're back to uh, the dinner with Nicodemus. And then, then we go to Matthew, and he's walking the street alone, and he happens upon the dog, and he sits down. He's sharing a Shabbat dinner with the dog. It's like, ugh. And... Then, Wow. And then Simon uh, is there with Eden and Andrew. And then, you know, Simon gets up and, and goes over and kisses Eden uh, on the cheek, which I think is not what he was actually going for. She kind of turns away from him a little bit. And 
you know, Andrew lingers there. It seems like Andrew doesn't actually end up going with Simon right. uh, at all because later we see Simon standing on the shore right. alone when the Romans approach him. Yep. But yeah, just this this beautiful, like in, in some ways it's like, oh, look, everyone is going through this same, this same experience. Everyone has their Shabbat dinner. Everyone has some sort of community, even if it's just with a stray dog in the street. Um, but at the same time, it's like, Man, these experiences are so different. Yeah, and again, I just think the design of the where you started with the original Sabbath. Like, what was the heart? What's the whole point of that Sabbath a thousand years ago in that opening scene? And how dis how, how messed up has the story become when these are the Sabbath experiences of the world that Jesus walks in? And, you, and and yet you also get this like moment of like, okay, the whole reason we had that Sabbath was so that you could imagine a world where the Sabbath where Jesus is at could be happening. Like, that's the whole point. And you see how far away the opulent Pharisee Sabbath is, and you see the brokenness of those that are in the middle, and you see the aloneness of the mumser and the outcast, and you just, ah, the kingdom, that is the kingdom. It is showing up. So, beautifully done. I love it. All right. Well, that is the end of this short episode of The Chosen, long episode of Bema. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and obviously you have that closing scene, right, of the where Peter's standing on the shore. Soldiers right. come up. Yep. And he's obviously ready to go find the traitors, find the, not the traitors, but go find the disobedient fishermen. And that's where your episode ends. So Seems like a fairly, you know, exciting moment, especially in, in Mary's house. But uh, yeah. As we see from, you know, Simon especially, but even some of the other scenes, there's still a lot of tension um, happening all over the place. So uh, I've got a couple. So I've got the the link to the uh, Alf Beta, the Aisha Heil, and then uh, just a couple of general links about uh, The Chosen. If you haven't seen it, hopefully you've been watching this before you're listening to the episode, but whatever. Uh, you know, I'm not here to judge. So we will uh, pick up in our next episode with the next episode of the chosen and uh in the meantime you can find marty on twitter at marty solomon i'm at eibcb and uh, of course these show notes are at com or in your podcast player app so thanks for joining us on the bama podcast we'll talk to you again soon